Hey there, Christ community and friends. It is another beautiful day of sheltering in place here in Kansas City. My name is Gabe Coyle, and I am the campus pastor at Christ Community's downtown campus. Well, behind the scenes, we as a staff at the downtown campus have been working tirelessly, seeking to come alongside of you, to listen to you, and think about ways that we can better care for our downtown community. And in the midst of this, there is a new development brewing. We as a staff this last week gathered together to begin planning for our very own downtown campus worship service streaming. So currently we have had one service being streamed for all five campuses, but starting, we hope, on Sunday, May 24th, we will begin to have our very own downtown campus live stream going on at our specific campus here in downtown Kansas City. And so we're really excited. We've had some amazing folks step up to volunteer. There are more details coming, but I want you to go ahead and mark your calendar for Sunday, May 24th, as we hope to have our very own downtown campus service streamed for us as we seek to continue to connect for and with one another for the common good of downtown and broader Kansas City. So be on the lookout for that. Also, I wanna let you know, I know some of you have just been biting your nails, curious how it's going. Yes, I have finished my own workbench. I have been working at it now over this COVID-19 sheltering in place as a way to stay mentally healthy, just giving myself a project to do with some of my energy. And yes, it's done. And I want to give you my own little special tour. I hope you enjoy. This is what I made. Look at this. Look at this. Look at this. Look at that! Go! Oh, Go! Look at those! Look at these! And these! And then that! Charge this! Listening to this! Hang that! Move this! Store that! Cut this! Which connects to that. Which goes with that. There's this. There's this. If you want to cut this, it looks like this. Maybe you thought you could have done without that, um, but I appreciate your patience uh, and your humor as we can laugh together, hopefully. Um, it's been a great joy to have these moments in these midweek touch points um, to connect with one another, but now I'd love to turn our attention to a moment to center ourselves in on God and what He's doing in our lives in this week's midweek devotional. Enjoy. Thank you. 
Today we're going to talk about a dark emotion. Anger. Yeah. Oh, angry. Man, I don't know about you, but with graduations being canceled, with me unable to get my hair cut, man, it feels like it's been so long since I've had my last haircut. To homeschool realities just breeding in everybody in my family a shorter fuse. Frustrations we have around the timetable about re-engaging things in the world. Some, some people are so frustrated they're rioting about it. But are we re-engaging normalcy on the 7th, on the 4th, on the 15th of May? Who knows? And what is even normal going to look like? And what does that mean for security and economic viability and the care for the vulnerable who often find themselves pushed to the wayside? What about that frustration in the midst of all of this? Well, as thoughtful followers of Jesus, we should be asking the question, what do we do? What do we do with this anger? And thankfully, God has not left us without guidance. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 13. It's one of the shorter ones out of the whole Psalter. But it also packs some powerful, powerful truth and some amazing soul care as to what we do with our anger. So let's take a look together. Psalm 13. To the choir master, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, this little psalm is powerful. And, and, and you notice the refrain even there at the beginning, how long, how long, how long. This is a psalm of lament. And lament psalms are basically the prayer language of anger and despair. And this little phrase, how long, that repeats four times, it shows up 20 times in the whole Psalter, 150 psalms. Four of them are here. Now, some of you have been missing out on your sports stats, so let me give you a little stat here. 20% of this phrase, how long, shows up in a psalm that is less than 1% of the Psalter. That is a massive punch and a small package. And, and, and there's so much energy, so much emotion, so much raw anger and frustration. You hear the accusations. Will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? How long have I do this on my own? I mean, you, you, you hear the desperation, the frustration, the accusation, and the anger in David's voice. And he just can't endure this any longer. Some of the spaces where we get the most frustrated and the most angry is when we're waiting for satisfaction for relief and it just doesn't come or it doesn't seem like it's coming in the timetable that we'd hoped. And I want to be clear here. It's not as if the psalmist of David is necessarily looking for an answer. 
I mean, what if you get an answer you don't like, but it's the true answer? It's like, how long do I have to wait for this? Well, another 20 years. That's not satisfying. That's almost more embittering. Instead, he's laying his heart, his anger before God in a raw vulnerability that's absolutely comforting that God so ordains and empowers his people and encourages people to bring that anger to him. In verse 3, David says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. And that Lord is in all caps because that's the personal covenantal name of God. That's meant to be very intimate. O Lord my God, consider and answer me. And to be clear, once again, David isn't looking just for an answer. He's not just looking for facts. Ain't nobody got time for that. Instead, he's looking for action. He's looking for God to do something, for God to consider and to answer David means that God is going to bring the relief he's looking for. Otherwise, his foes are going to make fun of him. His enemies that are surrounding him are going to mock him. And if David feels like they're mocking him, then they also he also feels like they're mocking his God. And he's shaken here. This word shaken has the image of carrying something on a rod or a staff and it's so heavy, so heavy that you're about to buckle underneath the weight of it. And he's shaking underneath the weight of his reality and his experience. He can't endure any longer. He needs God to step in and do something or he feels like God's name will be mocked. His existence will come to nothing and he'll die. He's at the end of his rope. He's exhausted. He's frustrated and he's angry. Don't even. No, who can even? It's literally impossible to can. I can. But then something happens. It's not as if the psalmist confesses any known sin. It's not as if he himself has done anything wrong. The reason he experiences this distance isn't because he needs to repent. None of that is on display here. But instead... He uniquely, at verse 5, transitions to a place of trust. And this word, but I, is very emphatic in the Hebrew. And there's no sort of hint that there is some sort of narrative distance or like something happens in the life of David or the psalmist between verses 4 and 5. Instead, just out of nowhere, he seems to communicate significant agency. And he says, but I have trusted what? It's not that he's trusting himself. It's not that he's trusting his plan. This isn't some glorified self-help program. Instead, he puts his confidence, his trust in the steadfast love of God. In God's love, in his promises, his covenant, his character. That God is someone who works in history for the redemption and the care of his people. He created the world out of his love. He redeemed Israel from slavery out of his love. When he described himself to Moses, he said he's someone who's slow to anger and someone who has mercy beyond measure. This is who God is. This is who David trusts. And this is who we're called to trust. That he will bring salvation. That our hearts will be able to rejoice in this whole well-being. And not that it comes in half measure or barely enough, but that God deals bountifully, the text says, with his people. That there is confidence that we'll be able to sing God's praises because of how wonderful he's dealt with us. 
So how does David, the psalmist, go from being extraordinarily angry and in despair to now to a significant place of trust? And here's the first thing we need to see. Your trust will only ever be as deep as your vulnerability. Only when we've learned to truly depend upon God and allow him to see all of our weaknesses and own them and name them before him will we be able to trust him genuinely for who he is and what he's promised. And so we see here in this psalm this unbelievable raw cry of anger to God. Now in the Middle East, the Psalms are some of the most raw and intense poetry we have when you compare it to other Middle Eastern texts of this time period. I mean, this sort of language to God almost feels blasphemous, but instead God says, yes, bring your anger to me. And you want to know why? He wants us to be honest with him. That's the first step, to be honest, to be vulnerable, to lay it out there without any sort of filter. Here's why. Because your anger will go to someone. It'll either go to yourself and it'll destroy you from the inside out, or it'll go to someone else, a coworker, a family member, or a friend, and it'll slowly destroy them. You see, there's only one person who's powerful enough, strong enough to hold on to your anger, to receive it, to absorb it. And that's God himself. And he says, yes, I get that you live in a broken world. This isn't what I wanted for you, but please bring your anger to me. I will receive it. And so step one, to go from this anger to a place of genuine trust that God indeed will bring about his good purposes in his perfect timing is to be honest with him. For your trust will only ever be as deep as your vulnerability in your prayer. And then secondly, we need to remember that before there was a but I, there is always a but God. One of my favorite passages is Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, describing basically what our lives are like before God broke in to bring us salvation. And he says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We're like these walking zombies that are just following after destructive pathways and actually following the orders of the devil. I mean, it's just a really, really dark picture. And then suddenly in Ephesians chapter two, the apostle Paul transitions and he says, but God broke in to bring you salvation. That's why you're saved by grace through faith, because it had nothing to do with you, but everything that God was already working for you when you deserved nothing. And David gets that. That's why he has so much trust here, because he understands before there is a but I, there is a but God. That's why he can trust God's steadfast love because way before he was born, God had been consistently working for the care and the redemption and the renewal of his broken world. And if that's the kind of God God is, that's the kind of God he's revealed himself to be in the consistent ways that he has lived out his character for the good of humanity and for those who trust him, then he can trust in his steadfast love. Even when he feels shaken to his core, he can leverage that last bit of agency by the power of the Spirit and the historical record of God's love to say, this is a good place to put my weight. And I want to be clear, trust 
Trusting God is not like going to a vending machine and pressing the button of what you want. Oh, I want my Reese's Pieces because that's E7. That's exactly what I want. If I just put in the 50 cents, I'll get it when I want it. No, 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 no. That's not trust. That's calculated control. We're just using God to get what we want in our timetable. Instead, trust is seeing God as a father who doesn't always give us what we want, but like a good, perfect father, as we are maturing as human beings, he grows us up into what we need. And he'll never abandon us. He'll never completely ignore us, but instead he grows us and matures us that we might love others and care for his good world. So if we want to be a people who go from anger to trust, from frustration to a place of rest, then we need to first be honest with God. And then second, we need to always remember, always remember that before there is a but I, there is a but God. And so let me ask you right now, where do you need to trust God? Where do you need to, because you feel shaken, need to fall into his arms and trust that his steadfast love will carry you through? Where do you need to leverage the last bit of agency you've got and say, but I have trusted in him? May we be a community that trusts in him, even when everything else feels like it's gone haywire and it's taken way longer than we've ever anticipated and it feels much darker than we thought life could feel. May we trust him. May we love him. Because he loves us more than we can fathom. He's proven that on the cross of Jesus Christ. And he's worthy of our trust. He will deal bountifully with us. And one day we'll understand that he really has worked all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose.